0: Well, good morning. good morning. If we've never met before, my name is Chris Thayer. I'm our pastor of discipleship. Really glad to be here with you all. Glad to be in the middle of the sermon series where we're talking about panic and anxiety and how does our faith intersect with those oftentimes far too common realities of our lives. If you have your Bibles with you, that's great. You can go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter six. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay. The words are going to be up on the screen at just the right time. And we go through this effort to ensure that you have an encounter with scripture because of how we view scripture here at Good Shepherd. We view it highly. And because we view it so highly, there's a couple of things that we like to remind ourselves of every week. And the first one is this, even though this looks like a book, it's actually not a book. It's a library, it's a collection of 66 different books written by a number of different authors over a long period of time, and perhaps most importantly, it's in different writing styles. And we like to remind ourselves of that every week because it reminds us to read scripture in context, not necessarily always how we want to read it, but how it was intended to be read. The other thing that we like to remind ourselves of virtually every week, and you might not believe this yet, and that's okay, we simply wanna let you know where we stand in leadership here at Good Shepherd Church, and that's that we believe that unlike any other book or any other library in the world, that this one is uniquely inspired, eternal, and true. And so whenever we read it together, we do this sort of odd thing where we lift it up. Not because we worship the Bible, we don't, but because we worship the God who inspired the Bible. And we want to show in a tangible way that we stand alone under his authority and nobody else's. The other thing that I want to do before I say anything else is I want to pray. Would you pray with me and for me? God, uh, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you uh, that you are bigger than the lion behind me of anxiety. Thank you that you are God. And Lord, I just confess this morning my my own brokenness, my own need for you. And so, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that today wouldn't be uh, wise or persuasive words, but instead it would just simply be a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would wake all of us up to your Holy Spirit in this place. And that every single one of us would be changed people because of what you do today. God, you are good and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking all about how anxiety attempts to control the future at the cost of today. How anxiety attempts to control the future at the cost of today. And and what I mean by that is, is something kind of like this. Do you all remember those early days of the pandemic? before we were in lockdown, but after we heard there was a virus, and that that time was super weird and it was super odd, and it was especially weird and especially odd for me because when all of that was starting, I was on my way over to India we have a group of pastors, couple of groups of pastors that we work with in India, and we help to provide them with resources and teaching to equip them to be able to share the gospel in their villages where so often the gospel goes unheard. And I've got so many great friends there, love going over to India, but it's a pretty taxing trip as you can imagine with a whole lot of travel. And so on our way over to India, things were a little bit odd. We knew that things were going a little bit weird in the airport. We were hearing some things, but nobody was really sure what was going on yet. And then while we're in India, more and more information is starting to come out about Wuhan and China and, and all of this stuff. But it was so weird, so odd in the midst of being in another culture other than my own And then after being there, I had an incredibly long trip back, about 24 hours worth of travel. So when I arrived back in the States, again, right before lockdown happened, I was going through jet lag and I was exhausted. So I was catching up on my sleep. And to top that off, like I shared last week, I tend to be a pretty anxious person to begin with, so I don't watch the news because I figure I've got enough anxiety internally. I don't need to add any external sources for that anxiety. Tell it is right, whoever said that. So I got back to the United States to Steel Creek, and I am avoiding news, and I am getting plenty of rest. So I have no clue what's going on in our local Steel Creek area and how we're faring in those early stages right before lockdown. So I come back to work and on my first day back to work, my wife texts me and she says, hey, would you swing by the store and pick up some toilet paper (laughs) on our way home? Now all of you know exactly what's getting ready to happen, and now I know what's getting ready to happen, but at the time, I was clueless. So I replied back, sure, no problem. I'll swing by Target on my way home. So I do. I go down to Target on my way home from work. I walk into Target, go back to that aisle that's got the toilet paper in it, and I see empty shelves. And I thought, this is weird. Was there like a recall on toilet paper? Like. What's going, you all never thought you were going to hear-, hear a sermon illustration about toilet paper, did you? So uh, is there a re- what's going on, and okay, well no problem, I'll just drive over to Publix. So I hop in my car, I drive over to Publix, I get to the toilet paper aisle, and I see, again, empty shelves. I take this picture in my phone, I send it to my wife, and I say, we got a problem, I'll be late. <laughs> then I go over to Harris Teeter and I see nothing. Now at this point, it becomes a game. Find the last package of toilet paper in the Steel Creek area. I text my buddy who lives out in Wyoming and I said, they have no clue who they're messing with, man. I was like, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna be the last, the last package of toilet paper that's going to this guy. So I sit down in my car and I think, okay, where are some non-traditional places to buy toilet paper that stock it? I know. I'll go to the drugstores. Nobody's going to think to go to Walgreens or CVS. So I go over to Walgreens, nothing. Go over to CVS, bupkis, dang. Get back in my car, all right, where else? Where else could there be? Hardware stores. Hardware stores, stock, toilet paper, because hey, construction workers need it too. So, so, this is my first and last time preaching, no. Um, so I go, I go over to Home Depot, and I've spent far too much time in Home Depot, so I know exactly where they keep it. I, walk, I make a beeline for that aisle, and sure enough, I walk in and I see nothing. Oh man, no toilet paper. What are we gonna do? Now, in, in Home Depot, they have those super deep shelves because they carry a lot of big things. So I thought, well, let me just hope against hope, and I'll squat down, and I'll look and make sure that it's all gone. Sure enough stuck in between this section of shelves and the section of shelves for the other aisle is a single package of Charmin Ultra Soft white paper gold. So I take all six foot four of myself, get in there, pull it down, hug it to my chest. I go to self-checkout, because there's no way I'm letting anybody else touch this package of toilet paper, the last package in the Steel Creek area of Charlotte, North Carolina. I make a beeline for my car. I lock the doors thinking I could actually get mugged over toilet paper. (laughs) And I text my friend from Wyoming and I said, I feel what can only be described as what early hunter-gatherers must have felt like when their family had no food and they finally get a big buck and bring it home and put it on the table. I am providing for my family. (laughs) Loved it. Loved it. So I get home and my wife and I chuckle about it and we have some toilet paper to last us at least a little while. And as funny as that was, and as much pleasure as I got in being able to provide for my family in a silly way in those moments, over the next weeks and the next months and over that coming year, this level of fear and panic and anxiety would start to overwhelm me because it wasn't just toilet paper. It was that question, is there gonna be food in the grocery stores? What do I do if we run out of food? What will I do if I bring home a virus and my nine-year-old son or my seven-year-old daughter get it? What will I do if both Katie and I get sick? What will happen if my father, whom we just found out had Parkinson's disease, what if he gets it? Will this be a death sentence for him? And all of a sudden, this future, these future possibilities started to crash into my present reality. And all of this anxiety and all of this worry and all of this fear started to bubble up as I tried to control the uncontrollable in front of me. And you all know exactly what that was like. Some of you might have a a diagnosed disorder like myself. Others of you might wrestle with it intermittently. But in those moments, we all came face to face with this desire to control the future and our inability to do so. And one of the things that it cost me was the present. You see, when lockdown happened, and for the very first and probably only time in my life, I got to be around my nine-year-old son and my seven-year-old daughter the whole day. (laughs) Come on, y'all know what it was like. And yeah, there were struggles. We can be real. But I also had an incredible opportunity to speak into my kids' lives. I, I could have had an opportunity to help my children learn how to navigate fear when the world around them was crumbling and there, was, there, was, there seemed to be this lack of security. I had an opportunity with my children to be able to help them to learn how to navigate that. But instead, My world was filled with anxiety and fear, and it cost me my present. Maybe for you, it wasn't so much the pandemic, so much as it was when Russia invaded Ukraine, and then for the very first time in several decades, there was a very real threat or possibility of thermonuclear war, and you wondered, what will I do if, what happens when, how do I stop this thing from happening? And we try to control these things that we have no control over, and they produce anxiety and fear in our lives. Or maybe it's not so much these global geopolitical events so much as it is what's happening under your own roof. It's that child you have who's getting ready to go away to college, and you're wondering, what will I do if, what will happen when, they make the wrong decisions? And instead of using the time that you have with them now, you're losing it. Or maybe it's that, that, that diagnosis that you're terrified of receiving. What will I do when? What will happen if? And you're losing the opportunity to spend time with your loved ones even now. Yeah, we, we try to control this future and it crashes into our present and we're left with fear and anxiety and worry. And you know, one of, one of my least favorite things to hear in the world, usually from somebody who's never really wrestled deeply with anxiety or worried, was, well, well just don't be anxious. Well, just don't worry. And I want to say, I don't really have a choice. I, I can't help it. I don't wanna worry, I know that these are irrational fears, I know that it's not something that's good, but I can't help it, and it does not help when you just simply say, well, just don't worry, well, just relax, well, just don't have anxiety. But this gets me in all kinds of trouble, and maybe you too, because there's a passage of scripture spoken by Jesus in the middle of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and in Matthew chapter six, verse 25, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Jesus, why? Why did you? Why? Yeah, that's a great thing for the preacher to be saying. Why, Jesus? Why did you say don't worry? Don't you know that I can't help it? Don't you know that I don't have a choice? Don't you know that I don't want to? But I can't help but worry. And you know, one of the things that I've learned in 20 years of studying scripture is that any time I have a problem with something that's said in scripture, it says a lot more about me than it ever does about the scripture that when, when there's something that I don't like that I read, especially when there's a command that's given to me that I don't like, that's my cue to listen. To open up my ears, to spend some time studying that passage of scripture and figure out what's going on. And maybe, just maybe, there's a good challenge in there for me. The great thing about this passage of Scripture is it speaks exactly into our desire to control the future and how it costs us the present. When we spend a little bit of time looking at the context of this passage of Scripture, it speaks into our fears and our anxieties. When I pause long enough to recognize that Jesus doesn't say don't worry unless you have anxiety disorder, in which case let it run amok, no. He just says don't worry. All of a sudden, things that I had seemingly missed start to become very evident and God gives us a way to walk through the reality of fear and anxiety that we have. So this is what I mean. In verse 25, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you. Now, in order to, any time you read the word therefore in a passage of scripture, it's always good to pause long enough to see what is it there for, okay? Jesus is, is giving his hearers a hint that what he's getting ready to say is intimately linked to what he just said, and what Jesus just said is, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth. Store instead for yourself treasures in heaven. Your, your perspective is, is too narrow, is too focused on what's right in front of you. Jesus says, think about it. You're, you're on this earth for 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years. If you're Talbot's mom, you get a cool 106. But, but even a cool 106... It's the blink of an eye compared to eternity. So so don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where rust and moth won't destroy. So Jesus is teaching them to have an eternal perspective. And then he continues. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes is not the life more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, when, when I was studying this passage of scripture, one of the things that I realized is that due to a combination of the way that I'm wired and, and some of my experiences from my past. I put a tone on Jesus's voice that is not there. The way that I read this passage of scripture and I think of Jesus saying this passage of scripture is get over yourself, don't worry, God, grow up. What's wrong with you? Why are you worrying? Don't you know you shouldn't worry? The problem is that's not at all how the gospel writers portray how Jesus interacted with these people that he's preaching to. Jesus had an immense, an immense love for them and, and so much compassion. Every time the, the, the gospel writers talk about Jesus interacting with these people, he says, it's, it's like sheep that need a shepherd. They've been, they've been wandering, they've been astray. Jesus is losing sleep in order to be able to talk with this group of people. He loves them and he cares for them. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, get get over yourselves. Jesus is actually speaking to a group of people who live in a subsistence society. See, unlike most of us in 21st century America, the the biggest question we have when it regards food, unless we're in the middle of a pandemic, is am I gonna have oatmeal, cereal, or peanut butter toast for breakfast in the morning? But Jesus is talking to a group of people where if, if it didn't rain, the crops didn't produce fruit. If the crops don't produce food, they don't eat. If they go fishing and their nets come up empty, their family goes hungry. They don't always know where their next meal is going to come from. They're taxed to the hilt by the Romans. They don't know if they're going to have enough money to clothe their children. And Jesus is saying to this group, Hey, listen to me. Listen. Don't worry don't worry, isn't, isn't your body more than food and clothes? And he doesn't just leave them there. He actually continues. And he helps them to understand exactly what it is that he's saying to them. He continues and he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow that do not labor and spin? Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now, conceptually, I'd always kind of understood this example, okay? Okay? In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates the entire world, and he creates the birds of the sky, and he creates the flowers of the field, and he looks at those, and he says, good. And then he creates humanity, and he imbues humanity with with this ability to be his image bearers in this world. He says, you're going to be my caretakers of this entire world that I create. And he looks at humanity, and he says, very good. So birds, flowers, good, humanity, very good. And so Jesus is drawing on that. Jesus is saying, hey, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. If God cares for them, how much more will he care for you? And again, I'd always kind of conceptually understood this passage of Scripture, but what I realized this week on Monday was that it never went from here to here. And then, the very first image from the James Webb Space Telescope came out. Now, the way that a NASA engineer describes this photo is he said, hey, take a grain of sand, put that grain of sand on the tip of your finger, hold your finger out, and the amount of the night sky that's blocked by that grain of sand is the amount of space that this is a picture of. So an incredibly tiny piece of what we call the known universe. And every single one of those swirls is a galaxy. And every one of those galaxies is likely made up of billions of stars each. And there are thousands of those galaxies in that photo. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I got it. The very beginning of creation, God spoke light into being. He spoke the sun and the moon and the stars into being. With his voice, he created that. And in a world where that exists, God looks at you and you and you, and he says, those galaxies and those stars are a footnote compared to the glory that I have put inside of each and every one of you. That, that's good. But you, and you, and you, and you, very good. God says, if, Jesus says, if, if God created that, and you're the pinnacle of his creation, then why would you ever doubt that he cares for you? And then Jesus continues. And he says, so do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about tomorrow. You see, when when I step back and I think about my desire to control this uncontrollable future and how it takes me away from the present and how when all of us, when we wrestle with these fears, when we wrestle with these anxieties, that they're really indicators that we're stepping into a role that was never intended for us to fill. Anxiety and worry are really indicators that, that when we step into that role that only God can have in our lives, that it's that, that the indicator that lets us know that, that we're really terrible gods and we need to let him do it. When I step back from all of that, it leads us to this. Tomorrow... Is God's responsibility. Trusting Him today is yours. Tomorrow is God's responsibility. Trusting Him today is yours. Now, one of the one of the common sort of questions when, when reading this passage of Scripture from Jesus or hearing a bottom line like that is: well, does that mean I just quit work and I don't do anything and, and I don't worry about, you know, I don't think about life at all? And I just live today and I don't I don't work? for a job I don't provide for my family no that's not at all what Jesus is saying there are plenty of places in scripture that admonish us to be wise stewards of our time energy and resources there's even a passage of scripture where the apostle Paul had to admonish a church hey if somebody doesn't work then they don't eat so that's not at all what Jesus is saying but what Jesus is saying is don't take a role that was never intended for you to fill don't be God in your own life. You are of incalculable worth to your heavenly father. And if you are of incalculable worth to your heavenly father, then you can trust him with tomorrow. Your job isn't, isn't to take care of tomorrow. Your job is to be faithful today. So where is it for you? Where have you been stepping into a role that was never yours to begin with? Where have have your anxiety and your worries been indicators that you've been trying to be God in your own life and God is saying, hey, let me take care of you. Let me take care of tomorrow. I want you to be faithful today. Maybe for you that means not hoarding your resources and instead finding a kingdom cause that you can further with them. Maybe for you, that means not so, spending so much time about worrying about that, that diagnosis that you might receive, but instead acting as if each day were a gift from your Father where you can impact and love and care for those around you even now. Tomorrow is God's responsibility. Trusting Him today is yours. You see, like I've, I, you've, you've learned about me over these past two Sundays. I, I don't always get this right. This is something that I wrestle with. This is something that I struggle through. But what I mean is, is something like this. A couple of months ago, my daughter, right after Russia invaded Ukraine, my daughter looks at me at our dinner table. And she says, hey, Daddy, what would you do if they came here like they did there? what would you do if there were tanks in our streets and and we were being invaded? And I looked at her and I said, well, I'd probably get you and your brother and your mommy to safety and then I'd probably come back and help as many people as I could. But as I was answering my daughter's immediate question, I looked in her eyes and I saw that there was a fear in her eyes that maybe the world wasn't quite as safe as she thought it was. And I realized that there was a deeper question that needed to be answered. So I looked at my daughter, and I looked at my son, and I said, hey, I want you to put your forks down. Stop eating for just a second. This is really serious. I need to talk to you for just a moment. I said, you need to hear two things. I said, number one, no matter what kind of a world we find ourselves in, whether it's a world where we have plenty to eat and there's peace, or whether it's a, war, a world where there's war and famine, no matter what, we will serve Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And number two, no matter what, Jesus wins. Yeah. Jesus was put in a tomb. He raised again on the third day, and he defeated all sin and all death. And everybody who is with Jesus gets to partake in his victory. So no matter what happens, we win. No matter what, we'll serve Jesus. And no matter what, Jesus wins. And therefore, so do we. And in those moments, I was preaching to myself just as much as I was to my kids. Let it be true for you and true for me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. And Lord, I'm I'm blown away. I'm blown away by the reality that you care for us that in a world where there are galaxies that are light years across and we look at something like that and we seem so insignificant, but you look at us and you say, nope, you're the best thing that I created. And I pray that we would be so enamored by that, that we would so see the truth of how you love us that we wouldn't attempt to take a job that only you hold in our lives. I pray that we would leave the future in your capable hands and that we would be faithful with every moment that we do have now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everyone said, amen.